So Money, episode 336. It's college week. Our guest is John Wasik. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. It is college week at So Money. Did you even know I was doing this? So all week, I'm dedicating the show to various aspects of college, how to afford it, how to pick the right school, how to dissect the financial aid process. I ask guests, is college worth it? So much more. And by the way, this concept of doing a themed week is thanks to you. I asked a couple of months back to my email newsletter fans, you know, what type of changes or additions would you like to see on the show as we're approaching the new year? And some of you suggested themed weeks as I experimented with this a little bit in the previous year. You know, we did Millionaires Next Door, So Many Millennials, and they were pretty popular. So thanks to you, dedicating more of the podcast to these special deep dive weeks. Kicking us off to educate us all on the best ways to afford college and how to, very importantly, steer clear of too much debt is the author of the new book, The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. John Wasik is here. He's an award-winning author of myriad books. He's a speaker, journalist, discussing financial topics from investing to student loans and much, much more. John is a personal finance columnist and blogger for Reuters, and prior to that, He served as a former special projects editor for Consumer Digest magazine. His work has also been featured in outlets, including CNBC, Bloomberg, CNN, and many other places. And we talk about, one, how do you identify the right school for you, financially speaking? How do you actually fill out a successful FAFSA, that's the free application for federal student aid, to earn enough financial aid? And then can you modify it throughout the years? The answer is yes. Also, what schools offer the best financial aid? This might surprise you. It definitely shocked me. Here we go. Here is John Wasik. John Wasik, welcome to So Money. You're kicking off college week for us. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. You're the author of The Debt-Free Degree, How to Eliminate College Debt at Every Step. Now, you've written several books, multiple, multiple books. Why did you want to write about this now? Well, we had to go through this whole process when my daughter was applying to college 
over the past two years, and it really starts in, in junior year of high school, where you start looking at colleges and start asking the question, which is the right one? How much are we going to pay? Are we going to get in the debt or not? And our family kind of came to this pact that we weren't going to get into debt if we could avoid it. Uh, and yet we wanted the best possible school for her. For her. So that involved a lot of research. And, and it, the research turned into the book. And I condensed a lot of what I found out. And it was there's some startling things going on there. Like what? Well, for, for example, that you should throw out the idea that whatever price tag you see is is what you're going to pay. There's a retail price, a sticker price that colleges are going to throw at you, and it's and it's a horrific amount of money, and, and you might not even consider that college because of that. But really, what you pay, you have no way of actually knowing uh, the true net price that is uh, until you do apply for aid, until you do go through their whole process. Uh, so it's a not... It's not a transparent sort of experience where, say, if you were going to buy a car, you could just stand in any car lot with a, your phone and find out the price on the car you want from any dealer in the country. But you really can't do that with college. I mean, you can have some idea of of what they're offering and, and what you might pay, but it's not really a firm sort of offer until you go through the whole uh, rigmarole of, of applying and accepting the offer and, and going through the aid process. It's just very daunting. And so daunting and paired with that, you're 19, 18 years old. You're making these decisions. <clears throat> it's not exactly a sophisticated financial time in your life. You don't really even know what, you know, uh, the ramifications of compound interest on, on you know, APR and all of that. And so you're having to make this very serious decision at that point. You really need uh, uh, some help, some perhaps uh, some practical, logical adults helping you steer your direction. Because sometimes the the banks aren't the really, <laughs> they're not the ones that are educating you. They're going to give you the loan and they're not going to really care that you're just majoring in history and you're not going to make enough to pay off that debt anytime soon. Um, so with regards to applying, let's start with the application. There is a school of thought that you should narrow your search down to the quote unquote affordable schools to understand your budget first and then a proceed. But what you're telling me is that the, the sticker price is just the starting point. And so should the approach really be shoot for your dream schools, kind of make that wish list, have some safeties, but really don't uh, avoid schools just because of their price tag? Well, here's where this gets to be really counterintuitive. So you shouldn't avoid any school for the price tag that you see because it's not transparent. So let's say you do have a couple of dream schools, put them on your list, apply, see what happens. Now, the way college works these days is that some of the schools out there with the highest price tags also have the highest endowments, which means that if you do qualify, if you do qualify in a number of ways, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, you may get all the money you need and avoid debt. If anything, your first decision should be to say to yourself, to say to your parents, how do we do this without incurring any or a lot of debt? And it is possible to do. But the first thing you have to throw out is the idea that you know certain schools won't help you. Even some very 
uh, non-brand name uh, liberal arts colleges that are regional in nature may be able to give you a lot of money versus the state school, which is the traditional fallback safety approach. Uh, they may be more expensive than a private school. And that's what's completely, you know, throws this thing on its ear. So you have to keep that in mind. In terms of getting financial aid, what works in your favor? What works against you? Well, if you're middle class, you have a good shot at getting aid. Uh, Certain schools, the, the real top tier schools sort of have a sort of a fudgy sort of definition of what middle class means. But it, it's based on income and assets, you know, and they don't expect you to uh, pull out money from your retirement fund or to get a home equity loan to, to put somebody through college. So that that money's sort of off limits in the aid calculation. Uh, what they want to know is how much income can you, you know, dedicate to paying for college. And and that's 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 a pretty simple formula if you fill out the FAFSA the, the federal aid form for financial aid, uh, and everybody has to do this. And there's another one for private colleges called the CSS Profile. Uh, you'll pretty much work through that stuff. It's, it's, it's more difficult than, than going through a tax form, but it's extremely worthwhile. And even if you don't think you, you will qualify, you need to do that uh, to see where you're at. And then you'll have an expected family contribution. This is kind of the the nut that they think uh, you will be able to, to pony up. But it's not a final number either. To hear you go through this, it almost seems like uh, there is another barrier here, which is access and understanding and resources and time. To actually fill out the FAFSA successfully in your favor takes a lot of know-how. So how does the average person master this um, relatively easily and without having to go out there and hire, uh, you know, some expensive consultant to help them navigate this? Well, it's just a matter of being methodical. Just have all your tax forms in front of you. If you have a business, you need to have, you know, your tax return for that. But FAFSA makes it easy because if you have your tax form, uh, it can be downloaded from the IRS directly. All you have to do is kind of work through uh, their online form and it's free and you don't need any consultant to do it. You just have to plug in the numbers, but if you are downloaded, most of the numbers will be plugged in for you and then you have to supplement it with anything else that might be extraordinary. For example, if you're getting divorced, if you're a single parent, if you are seeing um, some unemployment coming up or huge medical expenses, you should note that. And if you can't do it on the FAFSA, I know you can do it on the CSS profile. You can always tell the financial aid office in writing saying, hey, you know, my parents are breaking up. Uh, you know, I'll be the dependent of this parent and this parent is making so much. They need to know that and you need to tell them they will not ask you for it. Mm. But it, it's very important to tell them any change in your fi- your family's financial situation and, and they will take it into account. That's a really good point and something that I know a lot of people don't realize is it's actually there's a term for what you're talking about. I believe it's called the professional judgment review and or something along those lines, essentially updating the financial aid office about your economic status at home. And if yeah, if your parents, a parent lost a job, if there's a breakup, if there's any um, adverse effect on income that year that wasn't implied in the FAFSA the previous year. 
you, it's in your favor to bring that up uh, and you don't get what you don't ask for. So you had a very personal experience with this with your daughter, John. Share with us how you ultimately, uh, together as a family, um, curbed the college debt scenario. Well, this is really funny because I, you know, was kind of in the mindset is like, we're going to get the best deal from uh, the public universities. And they actually offered the worst deals. There were, there were several colleges that we visited that we, we didn't know what we would get from, but they were private. And one of them offered us a fairly generous deal. And then the one she ultimately accepted was her dream school. And she got a phenomenal deal. And, and the odds of her getting into that were, were very small, but you know, we, we held out hope and it did work out and we we're very lucky, but you know, it's funny, but you know, the conventional wisdom was always like, oh, you know, go in state, you're going to get the best deal from that college. It was like, not true. Uh, a lot of out of state colleges are, uh, for lack of a better word, poaching some of the better students, uh, and offering in state tuitions, uh, for their states, which is often a better deal than in state tuition of your own state. And this actually was happening and we're saying, wow, you know, these, these are equivalent, you know, big schools, you know, 50,000 kids on campus kind of schools that were offering, you know, at least making offers. They weren't great ones, but you know, you got to keep that in mind is that schools are competing for students. And the other side of this equation is, is always merit aid. So this is aid that's not related to, uh, financial needs. So, you could say, you know, oh, you know, there's no way we're going to qualify our, our household income is 150000 plus. Uh, but, you know, you may qualify for aid if you have a good student. And that means somebody who's taken advanced placement courses, who's done some significant community service, has a good interview, uh, really good essays. And, you know, GPA helps. It's not as much as important as it used to be. But, you know, you'll get into the ballpark if you're – ACT say, say is above 30, your GPA is above four, and you know, everything else looks good on paper. And then you have a good interview and then you express interest in that school because schools really pay attention to you if you're on campus more than once, um, you know, beyond that first campus visit. So now as some kids just have to take out loads. I mean, that is just the reality in some cases. Um, so in your opinion, how much is a safe amount to borrow so that you're graduating from college and you're not, you know, paying back those loans for decades. And in some cases, you know, that student loan payment is the largest share of your budget. Well, there's two pretty basic answers to that. One is to avoid it as much as you possible to, to, to get in with at least, you know, the least amount of loan debt that you can possibly afford. The second is to kind of look at the profession or degree you're getting. And, you know, there's all sorts of, of government's uh, stats online that can tell you what you would expect to earn in that field. Uh, there's another great site called Payscale that will tell you what you'd expect to earn. And then, you know, your debt repayments should not be more than what you're expecting to earn. So if you're getting a degree in, you know, dance and, you know, you're not going to earn any money and your debt repayment is way above, you know, what you're, you're going to be bringing in, then that's trouble. I mean, that's, I just would avoid that. Not to say that any arts degree is, is, is not worth something, but you really have to be realistic and say, you know, is this worth getting into debt for some degrees are definitely worth it. 
Oh, you know, most STEM degrees are and and some are not. Would you say that the problem is not just that students are over borrowing, over leveraging, but that college is too expensive and that also the system is broken? You know, the financial aid system in some ways is not easy to navigate and um, doesn't reward students the way that it should. Uh, What I guess my question is, as someone who's been covering the financial landscape for a very long time, do you think that there is a a sea change about to happen or, and, and what, you know, I always say that some shoe has to drop. This problem is so huge in this country. You know, student loan debt has surpassed credit card debt, which is unbelievable. And it's really to the detriment of this young generation who's going to be making up for this for many years. So do you feel like something has to change? And if so, what? Well, you're talking to a person who really thinks that student debt is immoral because it, it calls an, an entire generation's ability to move up the economic ladder. I just think it's wrong. And I think that as a society, we should do everything we can to reduce the amount of debt or at least make college more affordable. Yes, college does cost too much. Are the ways of getting costs down? Absolutely. And there will be a sea change uh, and it will come through technology. Uh, as soon as the online courses get their acts together, their, their accreditation is sound and workers uh, can take it to the employer say, hey, I got this online degree. And the employer says, yeah, that's worth a raise, uh, which isn't happening right now, by the way, except for legitimate degrees from accredited institutions. Uh, you know, it, it, it will, something will have to happen that will be major. It will be a combination of technology and outrage in the fact that, you know, politically speaking, more people have to bring it into the public dialogue. But, you know, can things happen to improve this? Absolutely. Can they streamline the financial aid process? There's no question on my mind. I think if somebody was to, you know, come up with an app, a phone app that could tell you, you know, let's, let's do a search of some of my dream schools and see how much they are really likely to give me if I apply given these certain parameters. You know, you could do this with robo-advisors. You can manage your money online. You can do anything you want on your phone now except for this. There's one really good site that the government puts out, very unsexy in in terms of its design, um, called College Scorecard, who give you some basic information. You know, what percentage of their students are taking on loans, how much aid do they offer. Graduation rate is is critical. I mean, if you see a, a college with a low graduation rate, in a high, you know, debt ratio for its students, you know, I would stay away from it. Well, it's in just some like, cases, they're being that, shuttered. You know, they they have to go away. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and I would avoid, you know, for profit schools, you know, if I absolutely could, um, because they have no skin in the game. They can charge anything they want, and they will saddle everybody who walks in the door who can't pay cash with a loan. So they have no incentive to keep their their rates down. Right. Now, something else I think worth noting as we are talking about eliminating debt, trying to keep your your leverage uh your leveraging to a minimum, graduating on time is is imperative. And by on time, I'm using air quotes, I mean 4 years. You know, college is sold as a 4-year experience when in reality and for many kids it's a lot longer, uh 5 years, at least 4 and a half to 5 and a half years simply because in in some cases in the big schools, I know in California, for example, they were suffering from a shortage of teachers. And so courses were not as abundant. You had to wait 
as a student to get into the class you needed to graduate on time. In other cases, students uh, enter college not knowing what they want to do and they major in something and then realize in sophomore year, oh, you know what? I really don't want to study biology. I want to be a dancer or whatever it was. I mean, I switched majors twice and luckily I finished on time, but that can delay your graduation and that can mean more money spent. So how important is it for students? And it's hard, right? Because you're only 18. How are you supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life or at least the next four years to really understand that A, the school that you're going to is the right school and that two, B, the major that you want to major in is supported there and you can graduate in, in good time because that can be a huge sinking financial ship if you go to school for five years when you were planning only for four. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Farnoosh, because, you know, there's there's a whole lot of people who go to school and they, and they get a degree and maybe they do something else. I mean, I got out of school with a bachelor's degree in three years. I worked really hard. I went to summer school. I couldn't wait to get out of college and I got a degree in psychology. Did I go into psychology? No. But I, I think the important thing is to have some core competencies, you know, get some math under your belt, get some statistics under your belt, see what the workplace is demanding, you know, know some science, know some some history. I mean, get a get a well-rounded education and most employers will look at that and say, hey, I, I think this person could do something else because they're smart enough to handle physics or, you know, algebra or, you know, anything. Uh, so it's it's really kind of building a good base if you don't know what you want to do. Now, if you want to be an engineer, yeah, go to engineering school. You'll probably have a great career. If you want to be a nurse, go for it. But don't, you know, spend too much time. And if it's not working out for you, you need the honesty to say, you know, I, I really can't hack this and I should be doing something else. I mean, you just have to be honest with yourself. Right. I mean, if you're going to take out the loans, make it a good investment. And uh, and and not to say you can't pursue your you – know, I wanted to major in theater, okay? But my parents were like, um, not on our dime, you know? <laughs> they were worried about my prospects as an actress. And I think that I – well, at the time I was very distraught, but I, but I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do this college thing and, and take it seriously and try to make a return on, on our dollar spent. And I majored in finance. And you know what? In the end, I did end up doing something in the entertainment industry. I'm going to work in television, media with the finance background. So it doesn't all have to go to waste. You can still end up where you want to end up. But I do agree with you that college needs to be examined as an investment and look to really maximize your studies there. And I I'll tell you a story about my brother. He graduated not too long ago from the University of Arizona with a degree in economics and a, I think a double or a minor in, in entrepreneurship. But true, truly, I mean, and he'll, he'll be the first to admit, and this is feedback that he got from prospective employers, you don't really have any tangible skills, you know? Like, you're a great thinker, you can analyze, maybe we can throw a PowerPoint project at you or an Excel spreadsheet, but I think to really be uh, hireable and desired in this marketplace. It's important to have a trade, a skill, something that you can do, that you can show. And so he spent the summer following graduation in a technology school, like we had talked about earlier, for eight weeks, a boot camp, learning how to do UX design. And do you know what? The jobs came pouring in. And I think schools need to be more up to date on what the market demands of these young graduates if they want to be competitive. And fortunately, my brother got some 
you know, some advice, some unsolicited advice as he was doing the the job fair circuit. And someone just said to him, you know what? You need some hard skills on your resume. Just coming out of school, everyone's graduating from college these days. Everyone's got a bachelor of science or even something or other. How, what's going to differentiate you? What's going to allow you to hit the ground running? And so I wish that would be part of the education as well. You know, Farnushin, I, I think you're hitting it right on the head because – you know, I was like you. I was like, I was thinking, well, I'm going to get a degree in music composition. I'm going to go to this private school and it's a great music program. And I, then I kept thinking to myself, it's like, what am I going to do when I get out? I mean, it's like, I don't like poverty. <laughs> That's not going to work for me. Poor so. does not, it does not look good on me and, and anyone. Yeah, I, I completely <laughs> agree. So now let's say you're a young adult graduated. You didn't read your book. Uh, you didn't think to maybe negotiate that sticker price at the very pricey school. Uh, I'm in New York, so NYU is not too far and, uh, it's a scary financial reality on that campus. But let's say you're, you know, you're struggling. You've got a huge, huge student loan bill every single month. You've got some private loans, some public loans. What do you do? Well, there's two things. Uh, one, if you have uh, federal loans, you can you can get into repayment plans. So there's a generous array of different plans. So if your income drops, or if it's gradually going up, or if you can't afford those you know loans right now, or if you're going to grad school, there's any number of programs to really help you on on the federal side, uh, and you have to go to the Department of Education to get them. Now, don't go on the internet and, and start searching for debt repayment. You'll get a lot of these scam sites and these people who will charge you basically money for filing a form to get the feds to help you. So those are total frauds. And I wrote a piece about that in Forbes. But don't do that. Just go right to the Department of Education. Just Google, you know, loan repayment plans and, and you'll find a whole bunch of things. It, it's not a great site. It's hard to deal with. But, you know, you figure it out. It's not a, not a hard thing to do. If you have private loans, you know, you can try to refinance them directly with the lender. There's a whole bunch of new online refinance companies like SoFi that will help you refinance uh, and get the payment down. Uh, I would explore those too. But basically, keep it in your mind that you can negotiate on these repayments, uh, whether you have federal or, or or private or a combination, just start talking. Uh, you'd have to talk to your loan servicer first to see what options are there. Most of them are not very good and may not help you, but you know there are options and you should explore them. I worked a couple of jobs outside of my nine to five to pay off my student loans from graduate school. And so I see that more and more these days. That was dec about a decade ago. Now it's a lot easier to find a few extra revenue streams online, renting out your stuff, uh, you know, whether it's a room or a car or a bicycle, you can do that with thanks to the various internet platforms and apps and you can sell things and you can work, you know, TaskRabbit. I talk about them ad nauseum on the podcast. Um, and tutor.com and at, you know, Elance, there's a lot of different sites where young people in particular, because they have generally speaking, more time than others to dedicate to these side gigs on the weekends and so forth. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of your youth to make the extra money that you need to dedicate that to paying off your student loans faster. Uh, because the faster you can become financially independent in your 20s, you know what? Lifestyle starts to happen, not just a life. 
And um, I think in that way, you know, I feel like we, we can wait for the sea shift, you know, but in the meantime, we need to take matters into our own hands. Um, so we didn't even get to talking a little bit about your financial perspectives. We talk a lot on this show about our guests' financial failures, mis- you know, successes, habits. And I, because this is college week, our guests are going to be in the hot seat on this topic, college in particular. But now we have a little bit of extra time. John, I'd like to ask you about what's your ultimate financial philosophy? I have to really say that you have an amazing career authoring 15 books. You've been in journalism for a very long time and you've been covering personal finance for, a, a, you know, for years. What would you say today is your financial philosophy and why? I think the the most essential thing for me is is to have the time to pursue the things I want to do because you know when you're wedded or you're shackled by debt you 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 have to think about that all the time and if you don't have it if you don't have these huge debts hanging over you whether it's from a credit card or a student loan or anything you know, you have so much more freedom to think your own thoughts. If you want to walk away from a project, you can do that. You know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about new projects that I want to do and that if I had the time, I would do them. So, you know, by not being in debt, by reducing your debt, I mean, that gives you so much financial freedom that it's just every time I get a little piece of it, I'm thinking, this is heaven. This is just where I want to be. And that's that's my philosophy to, you know, of course, pay bills for my family and now paying for college. It's just, you know, if things work out, then you could have a really, really good life in this country. If not, you're just you're a debt slave. And and I, I hate see seeing people get into that and and I want it for them. And I and I, I say to them, you know, the the purpose of life should be to pursue this passion that that only you can fulfill. That's my philosophy. And, and part of it is to say, look, you know, you don't have to buy all this stuff. <laughs> you don't have to rack up all this credit card debt. You can have this, this certain piece of, of, of bliss that, that is, it is yours for the taking. But first, you have to be really disciplined. Yeah, many families are torn as to how to prioritize their savings. And speaking of college, some parents would rather, they feel it's their duty actually to put, to put more towards the college savings than their own retirement. What do you, what would you say to a parent like that? It's very emotional. Well, you always need to save first for emergencies. So you need to cover like, you know, medical deductibles and say something happens to your house or just stuff happens all the time. Uh, the furnace breaks, the car breaks, things like that. You need emergency cash. Uh, that should be a priority. And then retirement. Retirement is, is, is just something you do over a long period of time. And if you're not doing it, you won't really benefit from the, the miracle of compounding. And it, it just won't work for you. That's just a part of the discipline and, and try to do it automatically. And then I would say college is down there because, you know, there is money available for college and you don't have to go into debt. And if you do make yourself into a great student, you know, people will want to have you in their program and will want to help you out. So that has never been a real big concern of mine. Um, and you can look at some of these stories saying how much it's costing and how much more it's costing every year. And and just don't get cowed by it. Just say, look, there, there's a way to do this. It just have to be very focused and do your homework. 
Yeah. It's it's startling actually where for a new parent, I'm a new parent, and to do the projection of what it would cost in like eighteen years to send one child to college. I mean, you're looking at the cost of most homes in, in America today. You're looking at like a three hundred thousand dollar sticker. Is so you're saying don't focus on that. Like you can run the calculators, but don't be dis dissuaded or think you have to put every single penny towards that in order to achieve that, because that in some ways is not the reality. It isn't. I mean, you just go on the college scorecard and you can see some of these schools. And if like you're a decent student, you can get merit aid, you can get financial aid if you qualify. And there's there's no reason why you can't tap into that. But most people don't even approach that the right way. They say, oh, no, they'd never consider us or, you know, you know, this school would never take my son or daughter. You know, you have to keep an open mind and you really have to cast a wide net. And, and to kind of defeat yourself before you even dip your toes in the water, is, it's not going to help you. Why did you get interested in writing about personal finance? I don't think anyone wakes up and goes, someday I'm going to be a financial journalist. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe they do. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I someone told me that joke once and I thought it was really funny. And I mean, in some ways it is true. I didn't like design this life intentionally from the beginning, but I love it. And I, you know, love my work and I think it's important work. But for you, like, what was the, what was the reason? What was the impetus into this world? Well, first of all, it's fascinating. I mean, it's an endless, endless source of, of things that you need to learn that are constantly evolving. Uh, I got into it because when I had my like second reporting job, I was with a newspaper on the south side of Chicago, and I had to learn about finance and economics and steel mill closings and what happens when people are thrown out of work. It was a very bad time, very much like today in many ways, but I knew nothing about these things. So it was like I had to learn on my feet, plus taking, you know, labor history and labor reporting and, you know, what's, you know, what are colas and things like that. So I, I really had to, to learn, you know, through a trial by fire, but when I got into it, it was fascinating because it was this whole mysterious world that I knew nothing about, had no academic training, and, and, and I was learning, you know, while getting paid to tell people's stories. I mean, how, how good is that? I mean, <laughs> that, and then there's, there's an infinite number of things you could do to enhance your knowledge, and you'll never, never be an expert as a journalist, but you can, you can, you know, sort of translate some of these complex economic things on a personal scale, and that's, it's very satisfying. And I, you know, the more I do it, the more I realize it's like, I don't really know anything about this. And I, <laughs> you know, and you get into these other issues is, is, is you get older and it's, it's fun. It's just like learning every day. Yeah. It's your job to be educated about important things. And that in turn helps a lot of people as in addition to yourself. Um, I feel the same way. Well, John, I'm going to do a little fast forwarding here and go to my so money fill in the blanks. This is my lightning round where I ask guests to finish the sentence. And okay. uh, we will learn a lot about you in return. The one, uh -oh. yeah, the first thing I would do if I won the lottery is. Um, I would probably pay off my mortgage, um, and and then you know put some more money into my daughter's college funds. Do you and think beyond that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's a Go question ahead. there about the mortgage payoff. I mean, so some people are of the school of thought that, you know, unless it's 
really weighing on your budget that you could actually, you know, keep the, if it's a low interest rate and it's, you can deduct to the interest, it's not a bad thing to have around. But psychologically, if you don't want it there, then, then better to get rid of it. What do you think? You know, I, I've seen both arguments and, you know, something I'm not in a big hurry to do it because it's, it's just out there. It's not very much at this point. Um, but I would, have that extra degree of financial freedom if I didn't have it. And, and part of my assumption here is that I would pay all the other bills that I needed to pay and fully fund, you know, retirement and college stuff. And this is kind of on the bottom of my list. So it's not real high priority. But, you know, if you mentioned the lottery is like yeah, hundred million bucks. Are, yeah, you might. Yeah, might sure. I would do that. <laughs> and, you know, beyond that, I would set up some sort of charitable foundation, focus on education and opportunity. How about this? The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? I would say my computer because it's it's very efficient. I do all my work with all my editors online. And if it doesn't work, I'm very grouchy and very inefficient. And I can do my work so much more efficiently in my home, not being in an office, not going to meetings and doing everything by email or Skype. Or you know any other electronic form of communication than I would if I committed to an office. So that's like a principal investment. I like to have a good high definition monitor, ultra high definition, so my eyes don't pop out of my head after ten hours <laughs> sitting here. And you know, have something that works fast and keeps the viruses off. I mean, that's my principal investment. That's my yes. like. If I was a carpenter, it would be my my saw, my drill, and everything else. I think it was John Stein. He's a columnist for Time, right? And he said that he, I don't know, he like, look, I read about, he had one of the back page columns and he wrote about how he got laid off or something or other. And like, he, when you know, you get laid off, you're not really in the mood to spend money. But he decided to really splurge on a new MacBook, which at the time, I think they were relatively new to market and it was really expensive. But he said, you know what? I got it. And- Lo and behold, it led to so many more jobs and I was really good at doing my job. And um, so he was like, it was the best expenditure that I made at a critical time in his career, you know. And so um, anyway, that's a good story. It kind of reminded me of that. And I totally agree. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is. Oh, I, I definitely wish I knew more about accounting. I mean. I came out of school and one of the first things I did is I started a business. I started a local local magazine. I was like, and I said to myself, God, why didn't I take accounting? This is so important. I mean, you can't run any business or be an entrepreneur without knowing this. Mm. It's like, yeah, I wish I knew it in high school. I wish somebody taught it to me and said, here's double entry accounting. This is really easy, but you know, you need to know this. And it's like, you know. Certain people will turn up their noses. Us creative types is like, I don't need to know accounting. If but so, you do. <laughs> as soon as I meet someone who says that they're majoring in accounting or they love accounting, I'm like, I wish just for a day that I was you. Because that is someone – I mean, if you love accounting, go for it. Because there aren't enough people who do and who can do it well. You will be gainfully employed. Because let me tell you, that is one of the things that I do not want to do. I don't want to do my own taxes. I did not do well in accounting in high school – or in college, rather. And uh, it just – my brain does not work that way. And same with physics. Even though my father's a physicist, so go figure. 
All right, John, last but not least, I am so money because... I'm sorry, what was that question again? I'm John Wasick. I'm so money because... Um, well, <laughs> I, I think because savings is so important to me, I mean, it, it gives you a cushion. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had a major health crisis and, and if we hadn't had savings through investing in single stocks and a little two emergency funds, I mean, we would have been wrecked. Yeah. And it's, and it's so critical for anybody, no matter what happens to you you know if nothing happens to you that's great but if if something does and it will you know you don't have to worry about that part of it you don't have to worry about losing your home or your car things like that you're just like all right we're going to make it through this and, and we'll we'll come out of this okay and here's this little rainy day fund that that really makes a difference and, and if you do anything else in money do that and it will help a lot well, you raise an important point, which is that, you know, it's so important to have savings, but particularly in the event that something uh, impacts your health, because bankruptcies in this country are led by people unable to make good on their health expenses and um, loans related to medical bills and so forth often drive bankruptcy in this country. So it's really important and it can strike when you least expect it. And it can, you know, even if you think you're saving enough, sometimes you have to multiply that by two, three to really get to a place where you can comfortably manage those unexpected health risks. John, thank you so much. This has been a very educational and a wonderful way to kick off our college week at So Money. I would love to have you back so I could dig more into your personal finances because I want to be even more (laughs) intrusive. But thank you so much and uh, good luck with the book. It's it's wonderful. Everyone check out The Debt-Free Degree. Everyone who is about to go to college or even, you know, graduated and wants to, uh, you know, think things through now that they have student loans a little more wisely. Great read. Thank you so much. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much to my guest, John Wasik. His website, John Wasik, W-A-S-I-K.net. You can also follow him on Twitter at John Wasik. All this and more, including the audio transcripts, comments over at SoMoneyPodcast.com, where you can click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions too, because every Friday I turn the tables, make the show all about you, answering your questions once a week. So send me those thoughts, inquiries about work, life, money, babies, you name it. I'm here for you to serve. Thanks so much for tuning in. Lots more in store as we continue College Week here at So Money. Hope your day is so money. So money.